Welcome to the Good Courage Podcast. I'm Jay Gamlin. In this last of our series of scripture texts through the eyes of the second half of our faith life, we're going to ask ourselves, what does it look like to follow in the way of Jesus when it isn't just about following a set of rules and laws anymore? We might even pour some burning coals on our heads. First though, let's take a moment and let's have a moment of gratitude. Today's podcast is brought to you by Shrimpsgiving. For a long time ago, my family decided that turkey, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, and sweet potatoes weren't our favorite, so we did what any good-blooded American would do. We invented Shrimpsgiving, so this year we had shrimp scampi, bacon-wrapped scallops, salmon, all sorts of things. So I just want to say thanks to a delicious Thanksgiving. Thanks to Shrimpsgiving. Hey there, Good Courage podcast listeners. This is Jay here. I've uh, seen myself just getting pretty busy and it's getting kind of hard to keep up with things. So I am going to be taking the month of December off. And uh, so we're going to finish up our little series of looking at pieces of the Bible and scripture through the lenses of our second half of faith life as we develop into harmony, as, uh, as our friend Brian McLaren would share. And we're going to simply uh, just take a rest and take a chill pill. Uh, We'll be back in January with a new season and new ideas, so keep an eye out for that. But today, let's dive back into these stories and these letters in particular today. Today, we are going to be looking at Romans, and we're going to be looking at chapter 12. Uh, Romans is Paul's letter to the Romans, to the church that was in Rome. Uh, there's a lot of people that think that this might have been the last letter that Paul wrote, but you know, there's no way for us to know for sure. It's certainly one of the longest and one of the most theologically deep uh, letters in uh, in the New Testament. I, uh, before we get started, I heard someone recently say something that I thought was really interesting. So in the Lutheran tradition and in traditions that tend to be very heady theologically, we put a lot of value in Paul. Lutherans in particular put a lot of value in Paul. Uh, and a lot of that is because of uh, Paul's very specific theology that our works do not save us. How we think and feel and do does not save us. It's it's Christ's sacrifice alone. It is Christ alone that saves us. And we trust that in faith and we know that through the word of God and through what we have seen in the story of Jesus. And so, you know, Lutherans love Paul, uh, almost to the point where we, and this is what I wanted to kind of highlight, almost to the point that we highlight Paul over Jesus sometimes. And so that's sort of ironic. And so I saw somebody quote somebody something recently that I really appreciated. It said, you know, uh, rather than see Jesus through the lens of Paul, which I can say I've done that for a very long time, really what we need to do is see Paul through the lens of Jesus. So when there are things, even in Paul, that that we might turn our head to and say, you know, maybe that's not exactly what Jesus would say, that we have permission to do that with Paul's writings in a way that um, I think we are okay doing. For instance, there's stuff in Paul about short, you know, women have to have long hair and men have to have short hair, or uh, 
or there's things in Romans about um, homosexuality that people have taken as a mark against um, against people who are gay and in committed uh, relationships and living healthy and holy lifestyles of not just lifestyles but relationships and holiness and goodness together um, that they've taken that out of context and see see this is what God really wants when this is what Paul's talking about and uh, you know Jesus is very quiet on that instance and so and we also believe the spirit is moving and growing if you want to hear more about that you can look back into other podcasts where we dive deeper into into how the spirit is still moving so I, I so you know I just kind of want to just give us a little heads up I, I also know people that say because that one little piece of Paul is present that we have to discount the whole letter which is I, I think a little bit of an extreme gesture um, I'm not anti-cancel culture I'm not anti-understanding that we need to um, you know read people through a new light but I'm also I also understand that some people make mistakes and we can take um, what they've written and take what is working and what is good out of that and leave the rest behind. That is also a part of it. So rather than throwing out everything because of some piece of it that we're not sure we agree with, I think we can uh, put on wise uh, lenses to discern what um, God is doing, not just in Paul's time back in the very early first century to what is happening today and what the spirit is doing and moving today so all that to say we're going to dive into paul we're going to be looking at the 12th chapter and so i want you to grab your bibles open up bible gateway or a bible app on your phone and turn to romans 12. romans 12 is towards the back it's the first letter after the gospels so the four gospels and then there is the stories of the disciples in acts and then the first one after that is romans so it's way towards the back take a look and we'll get started now so we are in the book of romans and we are in chapter 12 and i think it's important to understand chapter 12 a little bit in context of what paul has been lifting up throughout out the book of Romans. Again, probably his most theologically deep um, and uh, theologically rich letter. That's my opinion, not the world's opinion, but my opinion. And really the, the, the main focus of Romans is speaking to the Jewish community in Rome, trying to help them understand just how radical the death and resurrection of Jesus means. And uh, that it is about all about um, seeing that we are a people who have struggled and live in and fall short of the glory of God. So one of the things he one of the famous quotes comes very early. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means we've all missed the mark. None of us have gotten it right. We all have um, not followed the law perfectly. We've all done all of these things and we've tried it in all of these ways. And, 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 and therefore we have, we are, we fall short. We, we don't, we can't be good enough to put ourselves in relationship with God. So the question is, well, then what was the point of the law? What was the point of all of that? Uh, Paul lifts up this idea that the Paul sort of shows us how we have fallen short. Here's all the things we're supposed to do. And here's all the things we don't do. So the law wasn't a prescription into a holy life but a definition of the ways in which we fall short. It doesn't mean we get rid of the law. Paul's clear. It doesn't mean the law is bad, but it does mean that if you think that just being good enough and being nice enough and following all the things that you're supposed to do in life is enough, you 
you can't because half the time looking at the law, you're going to see, oh man, I failed at that. I failed at that. I've, I've fallen short with that. So there's this sense that you can't be good enough. You can't be great enough. And then, and then, then what does reckon us, what does put us in relationship with Jesus is he's, Paul's very clear. Jesus does that work that, that, to show us righteousness and goodness, Jesus dies for us and puts to death sin, puts to death the things that separate us from God, the ways we miss the mark. And by putting those things to death, we there's nothing that can separate us from God, that, that we don't uh, need to say, oh, now I'm in, now I'm out, now I'm good enough, now I'm not good enough, that, that Jesus' death and resurrection is good enough. And, and it's Jesus that brings that, that heals us and brings us into wholeness, not anything that we do and not anything that we can uh, say. So it's really Jesus' work that brings salvation, not us. And uh, uh, Paul uh, you know, says, well, then how do we know this? Well, we just trust it. Uh, that same word for faith we've talked about in other podcasts, another word is trust. We just trust that we're whole. We trust that Jesus is do- doing this. That is the hardest thing for so many people. They just can't believe it. They feel like, I trust that Jesus is doing this, but, but I'm still going to have to you know, say a certain prayer or be baptized in a certain way. Or I'm going to have to um, be nice in a particular way. And if I mess that up, then Jesus is going to throw me out again. No, we trust that what Jesus has done is enough, that Jesus has brought us whole, that Jesus has brought us together, and that Jesus didn't do this to separate, to, to keep an angry God from destroying us. Jesus did this as a sign of that love of God who dies for us, that the whole God who says, I love you too much to let you be separate and to not let you be whole. And therefore, I am going to die for you and 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 put to death all the things that separate us and then rise for you so that we may live together in wholeness. Um, great passage. One of my favorite ones then right in the middle of the entire book is chapter eight, where it, this kind of pinnacle where it says, well, what can separate us from the love of God? Uh, you know, talking about probably Paul's own persecution and and struggles of being in jail and prison and beaten and all of those things and uh, and and you know, can these things separate us? And then and then he even quotes scripture and says, you know, we're like sheep counted to be slaughtered all day long, that kind of thing. And then he says, no. So there's Paul, you know, uh, pushing back at scripture, pushing back at the Bible. It says, no. In all these things, actually, we're more than conquerors. We've won. We we were victorious. And then this wonderful, I think this is the pivot of the book of Romans, that everything before leads up to this and everything after follows this. It says, for I am convinced, I am persuaded, I, I am settled, it is done, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says, neither life nor death, so living or dying, height nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, you know, rulers, the, the places we live, the systems of government we're in, um, nor height, nor depth, nor, and then, and then, you know, angels and demons and devils and nothing can, and at the end it says, um, neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation. And anything is, means anything. It's panta, ta panta, nothing, all, all, not, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we cannot be, that Christ has brought us back fully into relationship with God, and we don't need to work for that. We just trust. We just trust that it's true. 
So then the question kind of comes, all right, well then what do we do? If we're not meant to follow, if the law does not save us, what is the point of the law? I mean, again, he's very clear. The law isn't a problem. The law is, you know, it, it's, 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 there to, it's there to show us. It's there to be with us. And just because the law doesn't, uh, is not the thing that saves us, doesn't mean that we just reject the law and we put away the law. But instead, we give are given a path forward of what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus, not as a way of getting into relationship with Jesus. Let me be clear. Following these patterns, following these laws, following these rules is not so that Jesus will love us and save us. It's because we are God's children that we're called to do these things. For instance, you know, my own kids, uh, you know, I ask them to clean their room. Now, I don't say clean your room or you're kicked out of the house. I ask them to clean their room because it's the best thing for them. It's teaching them executive skills. It's teaching them how to create an environment for which they can best live and and teaching them how to care for themselves and the environment they're in. And that's not that's not a rule so that we can be in relationship. It's a rule because we are in relationship and I want the best for them. So I'm asking them to live a life that is worthy and pleasing to God, not to make God love us, but because God already loves us. And and it makes, I believe, it makes the divine proud, just like it makes a parent proud when the kid brings home straight A's. It's not like they bring home straight A's and like, oh, now I will recognize you as my kid. No, it's like, oh, I'm so proud. This is what I've wanted for you all along. And when they do make D's or F's, I don't kick them out of the house. I, I walk alongside them and I help them learn and grow. So the whole point is not to put us into relationship but what it looks like to be in relationship. And so the question is, well, then how do we live? What what does that life look like if, if the law is no longer our taskmaster, is no longer the thing that defines us? Well, then what does it mean to live in Jesus? And I think we get to this beautiful section in 12. I know I've brought this up before. Of course I did, because it's one of my favorite scriptures and passage. Uh, passages in scripture. I just said scriptures and passage. That's so funny. Passages in scripture. And uh, I think it's one that we can keep turning back to again and again and again. So uh, we're going to turn back to this one and take a look. And we're going to walk through this a little slowly and see what God has to tell us in this passage. Okay, so let's get started. So we are in Romans chapter 12, starting the first verse. Um, The first thing it says here is, Therefore, so this is that, like, this is that penultimate. If all of these things are true, if these things are what's important, this then is what is there. It says, therefore, and it starts by saying, I, I'm, uh, again, I'm reading the New International Version. You might have a slightly different version. I might just go ahead and put up a different version just so we can kind of keep myself honest. Um, again, another reason why I love Bible Gateway and holding these two, I'm able to hold up a couple things next to each other. Um, so the New International Version says, therefore, I urge you. Uh, so it's uh, the um, the New Revised Center says, I appeal to you. It's like, please make this true. Let this be known. So it says, therefore, I urge you. I beg you. I plead. Please exhort. Uh, I, I, need, I need you. Hear this. Uh, the next word is adelphos, which is the word brothers, literally in Greek. But it always was substituted. A better word might just be siblings. The one, you're my my family, my siblings, um, brothers and sisters. It's often translated. Um, I like siblings. I think it covers both things. So it says, "I urge you, my siblings, 
and says, in view, uh, or in view of God's mercy in the New Ash International, uh, it's really just through God's mercy, understanding God's mercy by God's mercy. So living by the love and mercy of God. And then it says this beautiful thing, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now, what does that mean to be a sacrifice? We tend to, we, you might hear that and think, oh, what am I supposed to die? I'm supposed to jump on an altar and slip my wrists? Of course not. What it means is up to this point, a part of the law was that you would, um, you would atone for your sins and your brokenness and the ways you've missed the mark by presenting a sacrifice at the temple. Uh, depending on what it was that you're trying to uh, be reconciled with. You, it could be just a couple of birds too. It could be a whole ox, depending on how bad it gets. And so this idea of the law and the work was um, what you're to do then is if you've messed up, you go to the temple, you present a sacrifice, and that brings you back into atonement. That brings you back into relationship and wholeness again. And understanding uh, that Jesus has already done this work, that we don't need to bring her back into wholeness, what Paul, I th what I love is Paul's putting on its head this idea of what the sacrifices do. In this place, he's saying, no, no longer is it that you go somewhere else and create an atoning sacrifice for your sins, you, the things that brings you back to wholeness. Instead, you present your life. You make your life the thing that that is what, that shows that you are back and you are whole again. That that the very you that you are becomes that sacrifice, becomes the thing that you give up so that this is your true and proper worship. So it's not a matter of going to the temple and being back into connection, but it's really about giving your body over to the world. Um, and and so I, I love this uh, turning on its head of you know, not pushing away the law, but deepening that sense of what we're called to do, to be beyond just an activity, but the turning over of our whole selves. This relates so much to me when we talk about Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. Um, if you want to live, you have to die to the ways of the world. So it really is saying, letting go of the things that, that separate you from God in your whole self and presenting that over and letting that be your worship, that your worship is not just coming to the temple to be made right, but living your whole life out as an act of connection with God. And to clarify this, it goes on to say, so do not be conformed or do not conform to the patterns of this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So uh, a couple of things here. So, you know, I love, this is what that passage I talked about before. I really love this. Uh, it's really easy for us to be conformed to the patterns of this world. We are so deeply in bed with our culture and the place that we live that we often don't see it. We don't understand that how we see, act, and behave is embedded in our culture. Now, this is not necessarily bad. There are things, and if we believe that God and the Spirit is in all things, there are things in our culture that can help us learn and grow um, just in terms of like science and seeing, uh, observing what, how, how the world is put together is, is absolutely beautiful. And to trust science to show us this miracle we call creation and understanding it more deeply just to me um, makes me all the more in awe of what creation is and thankful for what it is. Uh, 
so but there are so there are things but then there are patterns to the world there are um the word there is uh i'm going to try to say this Syschematizo. Syschematizo. so you can see here almost schema in there and system in there um it's it's really to say that we are we can there are ways in which the world works too that are also repeatable patterns that we don't want to participate in these are patterns of great power and privilege that we tend to benefit the strong and the mighty that we um uh, we create systems that keep people in power in power um those uh we you know nothing is more threatening to people in power than the gospel of jesus who constantly shows us that god is present in the meek and the lowly the poor the poor in spirit, the the mourning, the, uh, the you know this past week we had a, a a scripture passage in my church about um, whenever you took care of the hungry, the needy, the prisoner, the uh, you know how many of us think well the prisoner's there because they deserve it and Jesus is saying I'm the one in prison. He says whenever you've done that to the least, you've done it to me. Whenever you've cared for the other, you've done that for me. That. That, so it's easy for us to conform to the patterns of the world. I, I, I know that recently um, there's been some uh, stories going around on the internet. I don't know how true they are. I've not, I've not, I, I did not dive deep into them. So maybe it's just folklore um, happening on, but there's a story of an evangelical pastor who was simply preaching out of the, um, uh, the gospel of Jesus uh, speaking on the mount, which we've done before, when he says, you know, uh, you've heard it say, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, pray for your enemies. Um, turn the other cheek. If they take, if they steal your cloak, give them uh, your, your shirt, give them your cloak as well. Um, if they make you walk a mile, walk three. And the funny thing is that uh, people of a more conservative bent went back to them and said, where did you get this leftist propaganda and uh, the pastor had to explain, those are Jesus's words. And it's interesting. Their response was, well, that's weak. That, that no longer applies anymore. Instead, uh, because what really matters is we return an eye for an eye. We, 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 if somebody steals from you, you're allowed to pull a gun on them. Uh, don't let anybody have power over you. Can you see how it's easy to let the words and voices in our hearts quiet Jesus. They would rather have the voices that make the most sense to them be what Jesus wants to say. And they want to use Jesus and their faith to justify their behaviors rather than using Jesus to teach them how to behave. That is conforming to the pattern of the world and not allowing Jesus to do something in you. And what does Jesus do for us? It says, but be transformed and the word is by the renewing or the renewal that to be made new again um, of your mind. So it says, don't, don't let the world pollute the way you think about God and the universe, but change how you think so that what you do is now aligned with God's will. And don't, and I think what happens is a lot of people want to make God say what they want God to say rather than letting God lead and guide their life. They don't want to follow the way of Jesus. They want to have their own way, and then they want to have permission to look and think and believe that way, and so they use God to justify their stuff. They're just colonizing God. Um, they're co-opting God 
to justify their poor behavior or their poor decision making or what can be just downright called sin. They miss the mark. They're broken. They're not whole. And it's really easy then to say, uh, I just want I just want to think this way because it's what I'm supposed to think. Um, and then Jesus, you approve me. Rather than saying, Jesus, teach me what to think and what to do. Change my mind. Change the way I think so that I'm not just being conformed to the pattern of this world. At the end, it says, at the end, this is uh, heading into verse, uh, we're still in the end of verse two. It says, so then you can, and uh, I like the new revised says, you can discern what is the will of God. You will be able to understand the way of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect and acceptable and right and uh, the good way of being in, uh, in relationship. If you're listening to and letting God do that movement, uh, you're going to let, do, move that way rather than here's what I want to believe and now I'm going to use God to justify that belief. So the first thing that we do when we're in relationship with Jesus is not to turn to the law, but to present our bodies over and say, God, take my life and transform it, mold it, uh, help me understand the ways uh, power, privilege, imperialism, colonialism, patriarchy, sexism, genderism, um, all of this has separated me from what your will is. Help me hear and follow your will and not just the patterns of the world. And when I do this, I will be able to discern what you are calling us to do and to be. That's a great place to stop. Uh, let's take a real quick little break and we'll come back for verse three and we'll move a little quicker from here through the end of the passage. So hang in tight. Love is giving up on what you want to find the very thing that you need. Love is easier said than done, but worth your everything. Love is listening without a reply response or trying to solve your problem. Love is hearing your pain and feeling your pain till your pain becomes ours. I will be still. It's full of hallelujah Love is showing up after a dark night of the soul Does something to you Love is who I am when no one's around And still do the best that I can Love is trusting that I am enough to Isaiah Taimani, and uh, I admire Isaiah in so many ways. We we met at a at an event that I was speaking at, and he was doing the music for, and the way he led that music with heart and passion and soul and integrity uh, still resonates in my bones. And I'm thankful that our paths crossed uh, these years ago, uh, back and I think. 2020 at, at the end of the whole COVID experience. It was, it was wild. And um, I, I want to uh, 
send you to go uh, check him out. I'll put some links here. But I think you're going to love what he does. But what I wanted to highlight in this song is about defining what love is, that it's 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 what you do after you sing Alleluia. I love that line. It's it's the thing that is the way you live your life, not that moment while you're at church. Um, but what does it mean to live your whole life out of love? And that's what I wanted to hold on to with this one. So check out the links and check out Isaiah. He spells his name a little different. It's spelled A-I-S-E-A, Taimani, T-A-I-M-A-N-I. It's wonderful, amazing human. So yeah, please run, don't walk, check him out. All right, we're going to continue here with Romans 12. So uh, pull out your Bibles. We're going to look here at uh, starting in verse 3, and we're going to go a little bit more quickly through this for a little bit. Um, that first part is so meaningful to me, so we spent a little time on it and a little time in explanation. But let's let's move forward. It says, in verse 3, it says, For by the grace, uh, grace, that word, um, is one that comes up frequently in the Christian tradition, but grace comes from the word charis, which means gift. So the whole idea of grace, the whole idea of something being um, in a state of kindness and joy and love and acceptance and wholeness, to being in grace means that it is a full gift. It is given and not accepted. It is, uh, it is, if, if, it, if there's anything you have to do to earn grace, it's not grace anymore. It's a paycheck. And so grace is grace is grace. And so um, Paul writes, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself. And then he uses this interesting word. It says sober judgment. Um, you know, we we immediately kind of go to sobriety. That's not, I, I'm not sure I like that phrase. I think to me it's more about being in control of yourself, being more in the right mind, being in a place where you can discern clearly with a clear mind. So don't think of yourself too highly, but think of yourself clearly in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So I love this idea that faith, again, is a gift given by God to us, not something we earn or work with. And that that means that, you know, it is something that we are gifted with. It's not something that we find our way into. Um, sometimes it is like a muscle, something we have to work on to strengthen, but it is also something that we can depend on God as a gift from God to lean on to, that, to see that divine uh, voice speaking and to just trust that that God has, do, uh, has given these away. Verse 4, for just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us so this uh, paul moves into just trying to give this little um this little uh explanation he uses the same passage in corinth and goes even deeper into it and, and is kind of fun and silly in corinth he goes on to say let's say that you're an eye and uh let, would you say to the hand i don't need you well, of course you wouldn't. You, the eye needs the hand. And if you're a hand, would you say to the foot, I have no need of you? Well, of course you wouldn't because that, that you need your feet to do its part in the body. So this idea then that each of us in the body of Christ need to lean on and depend on one another. 
This goes back to that uh, podcast we did when you talked about faith being whole in community, that you're not intended on doing all the things. You're not intended on this being a you and God alone thing. This is a, a venture of which we do the work together, that there are things that I am really good at that you probably aren't, and you need me. And there are things that all of you are far better at me at than me. And I need you. And I'm leaning on you to do the work that you are doing wherever it is you are doing. And you are leaning on me to do the work where I am. So if you're serving meals in Washington, D.C. on Thanksgiving, you're doing that on my behalf. And if I'm sitting with a dad over over a plate of food talking about how we can be better husbands and partners to those who are given to our care, I'm doing that work on your behalf. You see, we all lean on one another just as there is one body in Christ, just as you have a body. Uh, we each play a part in that body to do something. Uh, he goes on to list a bunch of gifts. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Uh, uh, so uh, remember prophesying is if your gift is speaking the truth, then by all means speak truth in accordance with your faith, accordance with, in accordance with that which you trust. If your gift is serving, well then by Jove serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, give encouragement. If it is giving, then be generous. And if it is to lead, then do it faithfully, diligently, without, with zeal it might say. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love that. The idea of if you're if you are meant to give grace, mercy, forgiveness to the other, do it. It's where the word hilarity comes from. Do it with with laughter, with joy. Let it spill out of you. So the idea then, each of us have these gifts as a part of the body that are necessary to the whole part of the body. This is just, this isn't the, the sum total list and you're supposed to pick which one of these gifts you have. It's saying that these are examples of things. So whatever gift you have, then do that and then do it. If, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Don't hold back that gift because you can't, I don't know, uh, uh, open a free clinic um, like a friend. If, if you can't um, uh, start a nonprofit to help uh, bring clean water to parts of Asia that need help. You know, don't think, well, I can't do that. Therefore, my gifts are not important. We each have to play an important part of what God is calling us to do and be in the world. So so hang on to those gifts and do it uh, because it is part of who you are and let that vocation come pouring out of you. Let it be a part. And, and at the end, I like the idea of it. It says with, if it's to show mercy, if it's to be merciful, it is, if it is to live out of mercy, um, then do it hilariously. Do it with joy. I think, you know, there's something about trying in any way that we can, as long as it is up to us to do it cheerfully. This comes to verse 9, which is a real highlight for me in the text. So, you know, I had a friend. Uh, he was a bishop of the New York Synod, of the New York City, uh, Metro New York Synod, in the Lutheran tradition that I'm a part of. And he did this amazing sermon that I just loved to listen to right during the uh, arguments about we should all put Ten Commandments in front of uh, our courthouses as some sort of piety display about being uber-righteous or whatever. And uh, he held up this 
passage as maybe this is what needs to be in front. And I like that idea. Again, going back to, it's not that we're trying to get rid of the Ten Commandments. It's not, it's not that these commandments don't make a difference. It's not that we shouldn't pay attention to them. But living out of the life of Christ and living the way of God, maybe maybe this is the pattern in which we follow. Maybe this is what it looks like. This is what Paul writes. He's um, I, The bishop said, maybe, maybe this should be on a tablet out in front of the courthouse. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in in zeal and and diligence, but keep your spiritual holding, that that fervor, that, that desire, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. I love this list, this beginning part of a list, um, breaking it down just a little bit. The, the, the very beginning is love must be sincere. Um, thinking of Isaiah's song again about what does love actually look like? It's showing up when somebody's had a dark night of the soul loving them wherever they're at in that moment. And then just hating the things that are evil. I I think uh, we have to kind of go back in this text to think about discerning what is right and the will of God and what goes against what is right and the will of God and being able to to discern those two things, to have a clear mind, to understand what goes against the way of God. To, to, to turn your back on that, to let it go, to, to put it down, to loathe it. That is what we're called to do. And then just hate what that is evil and then cling to what is good. Hold on to it, like um, uh, be united with what is good. And then this idea of being devoted to one another in love and honoring and never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. That's something I find hard to do in this list. It's easy for me to to lose that deep sense of the spirit that at times is circulated through me. Um, that's a gift that I that I wait for God to continue to impart in me. And then in some ways I, I seek to nurture that in myself. I don't think God's disappointed when I'm lacking in zeal, but there is something special about those moments when I'm feeling that deep spiritual well in my soul that's just kind of pouring over in itself. So that's one of those that I'm, I'm struggling with sometimes, not so much recently, but not too long ago. And then being this little list of so being joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and then sharing with the Lord's people who are in need and practicing hospitality. That is a good list of what love looks like in the world. Let's go on just a little bit further. In, In verse 14, it goes on to say, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. This goes back to that sense of empathy that we've talked about before. To have an empathetic ear and eye. I'd I'd mentioned a few a little while ago about, about one of the things I've been working really hard to. When somebody really comes hard at me, rather than getting upset and 
getting into justice mode or righteousness mode or do they have a uh, do, do they have a right to do this to me instead to switch this into a heart for empathy for that person and ask myself what kind of day are they going through what kind of life what kind of thing is happening in their life right now that i need to to be paying attention to that when they come at me instead of returning that with just more righteous anger to say you sound like you're in pain and tell me about that to bless those who persecute and to bless and not curse that that takes a lot of chutzpah it takes a lot of effort and empathy and then uh, the empathy extends further into rejoicing with those who rejoice so celebrate with those who celebrate and mourn with those who mourn um i know people that struggle with those that when they see somebody else rejoicing they wonder well why can't that be me and they and they kind of turn this into um, their own internal monologue or their own internal dialogue of how they feel rather than um, extending their heart and mind and simply being able to rejoice when somebody else is rejoicing and then the same thing with mourning with those who mourn to be able to turn their heart on and and weep with those who weep to sit in the ashes with them and and to hold that i know as a seven i don't like the hard feelings and my temptation sometimes is to immediately try to think of the positive and try to shine a good light on things and say hey it's gonna be okay and uh don't worry about it and it is it takes a lot of work and dedication to mourn with those who mourn to let them cry and let me feel that i want to avoid that feeling but to let me feel that that is something that i work on uh, not just as a seven seven but as a human uh, some sevens don't worry about that at all just this one does i um sevens sometimes avoid their feeling center and that's that's me sometimes for sure living in harmony with one another means to be aware of what we do and how it affects others i think about this all the time we have really lost a sense of collective responsibility and community responsibility uh, not just in the u.s but in other places as well but uh, since the u.s is my context I'll, I'll speak directly to it that we have grown deeper and deeper into i want what's mine at the cost of you that we think by giving other people rights it's somehow taking rights away from us i saw a funny bumper sticker that says just because i'm giving other people rights doesn't mean i'm taking rights away from me it's not pie <laughs> i love that it's not like because i give somebody a slice of pie I miss out on that pie. Rights are something that we have a right to live together. And what we do collectively affects one another. That if uh, how I drive on the road, how I behave in a store, how I care for the people on the right and the left and across the street and behind my home, what I do affects them. And to say, no, my needs trump your needs. My needs to set off fireworks at 2 a.m. trumps your need to sleep. It's, it is not living in harmony with each other, and it is letting go of the collective sense of, the, of living out of love for our neighbors. It means that we're essentially putting our own needs above the other, and that is missing the mark. That is in itself sin, making ourselves God, because my rules, my things apply more than yours. So, uh, you know, there's a sense of wanting to live in harmony is, I think, a critical thing that we can learn from Paul and to remind ourselves is what it looks like to follow in the way of Jesus. It goes on to say, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
don't be conceited. That's just so simple. Just don't be caught up in all your stuff. Don't be um, stuck into your own things. Um, pride. Uh, I know that's definitely something I've wrestled with my whole life. Um, not in. Uh, I, I am proud of the work I've done. I am proud of the dad I am. I am proud of the husband I am. I'm proud of the pastor I am. But have I always done it right? No. And I have so much to learn. Um, pride does not mean that you um, think less of yourself. It it means that you think too much of yourself. That humility is then the opposite. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Uh, it's not putting yourself at the center of every conversation. Oh man, do I do that all the time? How many of you are always thinking about what you want to say and what you want to think and and letting your brain go off on a direction rather than just sitting and listening? I think that is a matter of pride and conceit. And then that willing to associate with people of low position, um, there is a, a, a definite kind of person that really struggles with loving people from a different socioeconomic or uh, um, ability standard or um, um, educational standard. They, they really wrestle with that. Um, it is a part of walking in the way of Jesus that we walk arm in arm, side by side, supporting and being supported by people of every kind stripe and every kind of um, education, socioeconomic uh, ability, gender, um, all of those things. We are called to walk beside one another. We're going to wrap up in just a minute. I'm just going to take one more quick quick break here as we wrap up uh, verse 12. And uh, yeah, but man, take a listen to this song. This is just gorgeous. Every time I feel this way, this This song came up in my feed on uh, a couple different social media platforms. It's by Rising Appalachia. This is uh, uh, two sisters from Atlanta who do sort of a bluegrass folk. Um, uh, just Their music is just incredible. Sent me on a deep dive of their music. I discovered them before and then they sort of fell off my radar, but this song helped bring it back on. Uh, what I love about this song is it's it's a mom and her two daughters, and together uh, what they're doing is they're singing a song for peace and just thinking about the world and uh, where do we go when we're in that kind of place. And this old gospel song that encourages us to uh, not feel like we've got to do this on our own 
but to dwell and grieve um, with God who grieves over all the pain and hurt we have in the world. I, I think it's just a, a, a beautiful reminder. I love these old, um, they're almost like revival hymns back from the, I don't know if this one is that old, but it has that same feel of like just a closer walk with thee or softly and tenderly Jesus is calling some old songs from my my youth growing up that have these like late 1800s, early 1900s feel. I love them. And I thought this was a beautiful representation of that exact thing. So uh, check this out. Check out Rising Appalachia. They're actually coming out west here. They're just going to be playing up in the mountains here in uh, December and February. And wish I could get up there, but uh, not probably not going to happen, if I'm honest with myself. Not out of want, but out of driving distance. And I work weekends, so probably not going to happen. All right, let's jump in to Romans 12. All right, going on in Roman 12, uh, we're going to wrap up. There's a little funny little part at the end of this chapter Roman, in Romans 12 that we just want to take a moment to parse and, and think about a little bit. It's, in, it's, it's basically one theme from 17 all the way down to 21, which asks, what do you do if somebody does something wrong? Like, what if somebody does you wrong? What if, what if haters start hating? Uh, how do you live with that? Uh, Paul starts by saying, do not repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, don't compound problems. You can't fix brokenness with more brokenness. You can't fix violence and injustice with further injustice. It says don't repay anyone evil for evil. So uh, that that knee-jerk response that you and I probably have of just when we get hit, we want to hit back is having to set back and be peaceful and to and to think of another way. It says be careful what to do is right in the eyes of everyone um, because we're witnesses. We are examples of this other way of Jesus, this way of God. And it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, I like that they give this little caveat, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This idea that um, if if you you do everything you can from your side, you cannot, you do not have control over the people around you and their attitudes and behaviors, but you can, you can respond out of peace. You can respond with grace. You don't have to respond with evil for evil. And so as far as it depends on you, as for your part of whatever relationship you're on, you're you're in, seek to live at peace with everyone. It goes on to say, do not take revenge, my dear friends. And really there, it's it's my loved ones, my beloved. Um, but leave room for, and then here we have this word, God's wrath, anger, um, displeasure. Uh, you know, th- that word wrath, uh, you know, it sounds like, out of control rage. That's what I, I'm not sure I'm a, a, a big fan of that. However, most of the times this word comes up, wrath is the anger. So is the word I, but that's probably my own stuff projecting into it. I don't want it to say wrath. I don't want it to be, say like out of control fury, but, but just if we were to, if you were to work with me here and just say, but leave room for God's anger, God's uh, displeasure, strong displeasure, for it has been written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and then it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he, it says here, which uh, it doesn't need to be he, if they are thirsty, if the one is thirsty, give them something to drink. 
in doing this, this fun little thing, you will heap burning coals on their head. Okay, so what does that mean? You will heap burning coals. Okay, well, first of all, they're quoting they're quoting a proverb about um, when you show someone who is angry and violent, when you return that with kindness, they use this phrase, heap burning coals. Now, what do we mean by that? There's there's some, uh, there's like, like with a lot of these phrases that kind of jump out at you, we have to ask, what does this mean? There's some there, that there, it's very thin evidence that talked about how people would have to borrow the coal from their neighbor's house. And when they came back, if they dropped the coal, they would be embarrassed and would go back and have to get more coal. And that's very thin evidence. Then there is then there is another thread that talks about that when you do these things, uh, that it's that is the punishment that they receive. They receive burning coals, that, that sense of hellfire and damnation and all those things. There is a small thread that thinks that most of the threads um, that we see through uh, the great Christian thinkers, Orthodox, and the Orthodox Church and in the Western churches really talk about this as when you return evil with good, it embarrasses them and they are um it it is it is a hope that they repent that they turn around that they change their mind that out of their embarrassment for the way they behaved they apologize um it could be i don't see good evidence for this but it could be the heat burning coals is that sense of shame and embarrassment the red that one feels in their face Again, very thin evidence that that is a thing, but I. But there is a sense that that when we do the right thing in the face of the wrong thing, we only highlight what's wrong. It's what my wife and I always talk about. You know, um, you if you return evil with evil, you justify the evil to begin with. But when you return evil with good, you be, you show the contrast between the wrong way and the right way. And when you start, when you see the right way, it it causes one to change their heart, to have their mind transformed, as it said at the beginning of this text. So I like that sense of when you do the right thing, when they when you when you return evil with feeding, with giving something to drink, this can change hearts and minds. The last evidence, the, the last point of this just says, so do not overcome evil. Do do not overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So Romans 12, what I love about Romans 12, just to review, is it really then shows me what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus. That's beyond don't murder, don't cheat on your spouse, don't covet your neighbor's donkey, but gets into what is the way in which we live, which is a way of justice, which is a way of love, which is not being conforming our patterns to the way the world wants to operate, but having a new way of being, changing our mind on how we how we do things, um, and then and then all of these things about um, let your love be sincere and to hate what is evil, do what is good, be devoted, honor one another, don't lack in zeal, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. These are things that are much less like laws in the strictest view of that like you must do this and much more and this is the way it looks like to follow in the way of Jesus and if if you are following the way of Jesus this is what you will this is what that life looks like and this is what we 
live for. I'll just say, I preached on this this weekend about with my own children. You know, when we think about raising our kids, it's such a daunting task. And really what we want when we raise our kids is success. We want them to be successful. We want them to, you know, be able to get up and go to work and support themselves. And perhaps if they're so-called support a partner or a family, um, if that should be a part of their walk. But we want them to be a meaningful, productive part of society that is caring for things. Not every kid or family can get there for a variety of reasons, some in our control and some without, but it is our hope. We carry that hope for certain we do. And so we kind of get into merit badges and grades and sports. And so the value then becomes about achieving and success in sports. So it's about how good how far you hit, how far fast you run, how quick you swim, how hard you can kick, how hard you can throw. And when you aren't the top of that, then their their worth is 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 her, is harmed by that. Their identity is harmed by that. Or you know, it's by merit badges and earning um, to do the right things about earning um, a, a merit badge or or you know that we we uh, strive for the good grades so that they get into the best school and have the best money so that they can be successful when i'm really honest with myself about what i would want my kid to look like it it looks much more like this list that paul just lifted it looks much more i'd be i, I of course i want my children to be successful and valuable but more so i want them to be known as kids who loved sincerely those who were who were around them, who who blessed those who hurt them, who fed, who gave something to drink, who were joyful in hope and patient in afflicting affliction, who lived out of a sense of empathy, who had a communal responsibility and understood their role in the world was to care not just for themselves but for the entire community in which they live and in the world. That is the kind of kid I would want to raise. Those are the those are the true values that I would love in my children. That's what I would want. And then thinking through that, I think that is what God is calling us to. It's not a life of success and achievement, but a life of living our hopes, living out our empathy, living out our collective passion for the whole world to welcome, to feed, and to not return evil with evil and to turn our back on the cycle of violence, that, that is the way of Jesus. So that's Romans 12. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. I like this one. Um, I know that sometimes when I'm working with friends who come from an evangelical background or from a more fundamentalist uh, background and they're kind of like, well, what do you do? And if, if it really isn't the law and what you do, then what is it? What, what are we supposed to do? I'm like, read Romans 12 that's what it looks like. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Again, I'm going to take a little break over the next month. I'm going to take December off, and uh, thanks for the grace to do that, and I'll be back with you in January. Thanks for listening to the Good Courage Podcast. I'm Jake Amlin. As always, these ideas, thoughts, and opinions reflect my own thoughts and opinions and no organization with which I am invested in. You can reach me at thehouseofgoodcourage at gmail.com. Our theme song is When You Go by the impeccable Matt Fagan. As always, please like, share, and subscribe. It really makes a big difference. So until next time, I wish you good courage. I 
never